Thank you, Dusty, for reading our scripture tonight. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 6 in just a moment or two. Before we do, I want to express appreciation for your presence tonight. We're grateful that you've chosen to come. Always glad to have visitors with us, and tonight, no exception, we appreciate so much your willingness to come and be a part of our service. We hope that what is said tonight, what is done tonight, will be beneficial to you in our worship together. Tonight we're going to be doing something a little bit different in the sense that we're going to look at the book of Genesis, chapter 6 and chapter 7, and talk about Noah and the ark and how that was a type of the salvation that we enjoy in Christ and the church. And so a little bit different. I know Thomas said a moment ago when he saw the outline, it threw him a little bit. It is a little bit different. And so we'll do our best to navigate through the lesson tonight. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 6. As you recall, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 6, the Bible says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. And then look, if you would, at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect or blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. Hard for us to believe that mankind had become so corrupt that God decreed to destroy man, the very crown of his creation, and yet that was the intent. Down in verse 14, God said to Noah, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. I want to begin by talking about the fact that there was just one ark. We've read the verses that lead up to the instructions given to the building of the ark. And God told Noah in the long ago, Noah, I want you to build an ark of gopher wood just very quickly. When God said to build an ark of gopher wood, that naturally would have excluded every other kind of wood, wouldn't it? In other, in other words, God didn't have to say, Now, Noah, I don't want you to use pine or oak or cedar or any other kind of wood. When God specifically states this is what He wants, then that excludes everything else. An example of this would be a little bit later in time when God set apart the tribe of Levi to function as priests before him in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. God designated that tribe to function on his behalf. He did not have to tell the other tribes, now, you can't function in this capacity. That excluded them. 
The reason I bring this up is because sometimes when we talk about the law of silence, does it give permission or is it prohibitive? Based on what Moses wrote here, when God said to use gopher wood, that excluded everything else. When God set apart the tribe of Levi, that excluded all other tribes from functioning in the priestly capacity. And so, in the New Testament, one example would be singing. God tells those of us who belong to the body of Christ that we are to sing and to make melody in our heart to the Lord. God didn't have to say, now I don't want you to use instruments of music or anything like that. Why is that? Because He said, I want you to sing. So it is a principle. There was just one ark. and God instructed Noah to build that ark by way of a type. It was, as I said a moment ago, a type of the salvation that we enjoy in Christ and the church. Just as there was one ark, there was just one church. There was just one builder of the ark, and that was Noah. By the same token, there's just one church, and there's just one builder. Now somebody might ask the question, how do you know that? In Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus in the coast of Caesarea Philippi had asked the disciples on that occasion, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked this question, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus here promised to build his church, didn't he? Did he build that church? You remember when he began his earthly ministry, he said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 4, 17. The church was promised by Jesus. He was the builder of that church. The means by which he purchased that church was his blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul said, Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So the church was built by Jesus. It began on Pentecost Day nearly 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem, just as Isaiah the prophet had said in Isaiah chapter 2, in verses 2 and 3, the word of the Lord, he said, would go forth from Jerusalem. So Jesus built the church. As a matter of fact, Paul also pointed out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, at verse 11, not only did he build the church or found the church, but he is the foundation of it. Paul said, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So there was one ark, one builder of that ark, and one church, and one builder. Now somebody might ask the question, well, I see where Jesus said he would build the church. But I haven't seen a scripture that says there's just one church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. 
Somebody might well ask, well, what then is, what's the body? Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, he put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So there's just one church, and the one church equates to the one body. There's just one ark, one builder, one church, one builder. That's what the Bible teaches. And just very quickly, let me insert this. There's just one body, and there's just one head. Jesus is the head of the church, isn't he? The Bible says he is the head of the body, which is the church, Colossians 1, verse 18. Jesus Christ was that active source from which the church began. Now, there are some that would say there are two heads and one body. Others would say there's one head and many bodies. But the Bible says there's one head and one body. Now, that's what the Scriptures teach. So we have one ark, one church, one builder, that is Noah, one builder, that is Jesus. The Bible also says there was one light or one window. Note if you would, beginning, look at verse 14, make yourself an, an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch, just very quickly by way of just a little side addendum here. God told Noah to build rooms in that ark. Now, how many people were in the ark? Total. Eight. How many families? Noah had how many children? He had three sons, didn't he? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they had wives, didn't they? Why do you think they had those rooms? They had living quarters, didn't they? So you have one ark, but many rooms or several rooms, or compartments, or literally, nest. The church, just one body. But there are many members and many congregations, aren't there? In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus surveyed the seven churches of Asia. I remember preaching one time, and I was talking about the one church, and somebody came up to me after I finished, and they said, you said there's just one church, but in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the Bible mentions seven churches. I said, you misunderstood. There's just one church, universally. But there are many congregations. There are individual congregations or churches. That is, local churches. And you can read about those various churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and other places as well. So you have many members, many congregations, but one body, one church, don't you? Now look at verse 16. You shall make a window for the ark. We think about the one light or the one window that was used in that ark. The church today has one light or one window, doesn't it? What's that guiding light that is to lead us here on planet earth. Do we, have a, do we have a light? Yes, we do. It's called the light of God's word. One of the things about scripture is it's intended to guide us. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. In other words, man doesn't have the ability 
to plot his course here upon planet earth. And so he needs a divine guide, a map. That map, that GPS system is God's word. In Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. John said in 1 John chapter 5 that the world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. In other words, it's under the sway of the wicked one. Sin loves darkness, and yet light dispels darkness, doesn't it? God wants us to go to heaven. The Bible tells us God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So if God wants us to be saved, how are we going to understand what to do to become a Christian? How do we know how to become a part of His family? Through the light of His Word. Remember what Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God in Romans 10 verse 17. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith and not by sight in chapter 5 verse 7. So we have the light of God's word pointing us in the direction of heaven. Peter talks about how we are strangers or pilgrims, sojourners here upon this earth. And the idea is we're transitory beings. We are on a journey. That journey is called life. We have a birth date, and ultimately we will have a death date. Our destination is heaven. That's why Paul said, set your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. That's why he would write to the Philippians and he would say, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. How are we going to know, to, how, are we gonna know, know how to get to heaven? Well, we've got to have We've got to have something to guide us. That something is the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And he said, It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, according to 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Everything that we need to know about life and godliness has been given unto us through His inspired Word. So all we have to do is follow it. If we follow His Word, then our destination will be heaven. In Revelation chapter 22, John said, Blessed are those that do His commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. So here's the Word of God enabling us to navigate our course here upon this earth. So we have one ark, one church, one builder who was Noah, that being the ark, one builder of the church, that being Jesus, one light or one window in the ark, one light, the word of God leading us today. And there was one door. Look again at verse 16. God told Noah, set the door of the ark in its side. And he said, you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Just one door. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the one door. In the book of John, there are seven I am statements. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enter by me, listen to him, he will be saved. We live in a world today where people are advocating you can be saved by any and everything. We live in a day of pluralism. And people will tell you today, it really doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter who you follow, we all end up in the same place. But Jesus said, I am the door. 
And he said, if anyone enter by me, he will be saved. In John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Somebody might say, well, that's pretty narrow. It is narrow. Pretty exclusive. It is exclusive. But it's what the Bible teaches. You see, Jesus said, I am the door. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, here's what Luke said. Neither is there salvation in any other. Now somebody might say that's not politically correct. I would agree with that. It's not. But it is biblically correct. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You want to be saved? It's only in Jesus. Think about it. Just one door in the ark. When we talk about Christianity, we talk about enjoying salvation. Just one door. And then there's another thing that we find. And that is there was just one family. Look at verse 18. God said to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. Let me just pause here very quickly. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden, didn't they? They ate of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God had said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. God had a plan in place before he ever created man. Jesus is called the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, Peter talks about how Jesus was foreordained before the world began. So God had this plan in place in full recognition that man, given the ability to make choices in life, would ultimately sin, transgress his law, and need a redeemer, that being Jesus. So in chapter 3, verse 15, God set forth the promised seed. So God has promised the human family He's going to bring a Redeemer. But in Genesis chapter 6, what do you have? God is about to cleanse the earth of sinful people. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is not exclusively a New Testament Concept it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. God told Noah to build an ark. And it would ultimately be through the seed line of Noah that God would fulfill His will to bring a Redeemer into the world. Now, Noah had three sons, didn't he? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The seed line would run through Shem. So over in Genesis chapter 12, God then calls upon a man by the name of Abraham, and he tells Abraham that you're going to be the one through whom I accomplish my will. He said, and you shall all nations, all families of the earth be blessed. That seed line would run through Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, etc. All the way down to the Christ. When God makes a promise, does He fulfill it? Yes, He does. So, according to Genesis chapter 6, 
one family would be in this ark. Only one family would be saved. Let me ask a couple of questions. Had Noah not built the ark according to the pattern that God gave unto him, would he have saved him? Let me ask this question. Did Noah comply with the will of God? Drop down and look if you would. The last verse of chapter 6. Here's a divine commentary on the actions of Noah. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. I would underscore that three-letter word, all. Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. God intends for us to be obedient to his will. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven? What was he saying? He was saying that our entrance into heaven is predicated on our willingness to do the Father's will. So in the ark, there was just one family. Would those outside the ark once the rain began and the flood, the flood tides rose, and it was a global flood, once those flood tides began to rise, and Noah and his family were safe in that ark, do you think anybody else was saved? Could you be saved outside that ark? Could you imagine the numbers of people when Noah was building that ark? I wonder what people thought. The Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house. Noah understood that the only way he could be saved was comply with the will of God to put his family in that ark of safety. Could you be saved outside the ark? Not at all. Let me ask this question. Can you be saved outside the ark of safety called the church today? Now, there are some folks that will make a case for that. They'll tell you that you can have a relationship with Jesus, that he can be your personal Savior, but you don't have to affiliate with any kind of church. Might sound good, makes for an interesting sound bite, but let me ask this question, is that what the Bible teaches when we are born again, we are born into the family of God, aren't we? John chapter 3, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He wasn't talking about a physical birth because Nicodemus asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When we're baptized into Christ, we are added to the body of Christ, that is, the church of Christ. Well, how do I know that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Paul said, By one Spirit were you all baptized into one body. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. How many bodies are there? There's one body, Ephesians 4, verse 4. So Paul is saying, that when we're baptized into Christ, we become a part of the body of Christ or the church of Christ. 
Does that mean then that I have to be in the church to be saved? Can I be, could I be saved outside the church? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. In Ephesians 5, 23, Paul said, speaking of Christ, and he is the Savior of the body. So where, where is salvation today? It's in Christ. It's in the church of Christ. Where was salvation in the day of Noah? It was in the ark, wasn't it? Who was in the ark? Noah and his family. Who's in the church today? Those who are part of the family of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, But if I tarry long, that you might know how to behave yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So when we obey the gospel, we become a part of, of the household of God. We are, a part of, we are a part of the family of God. We sang a moment ago about the family of God. How do I become a part of the family of God? I'm born again. I'm born into that family. So there was one family. There was one salvation. The one salvation, the ark. Today, the one salvation is the church. When you begin to look at the scriptures... One of the things that stands out is that Christ and the church go hand in hand. They are inseparable. So to be a part of the body of Christ is to be in Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10, Paul said that salvation is in Christ. The only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, we then enjoy all spiritual blessings, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. One of those blessings is redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God told Noah to build an ark. In compliance with the will of God, did Noah enjoy the grace of God? Yes, he did. If we comply with the conditions set forth in the scriptures, can we be the recipients of God's grace and mercy? Yes, we can. Well, how do we do that? We obey the gospel. It's as simple as they say in elementary school. It's as simple as ABC. It's not that hard. But you've got to look at what the Bible has to say. So in closing, the ark... And the church. In the days of Noah, the ark was that safe haven. It was the ark of safety. Today, the church is that safe haven. It is the ark of safety. No salvation outside the ark in the day of Noah. No salvation outside of Christ and his church. So we close tonight by simply asking this question. Are you in Christ? Are you in the church of Christ? When I use the term church of Christ, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm saying it is the church that belongs to Christ. He possesses it. He built it. He bought it. It's His. And so it wears His name. Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you. It's just one of many biblical names. Are you a member of the church? Have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. If not, we'd be happy to assist you tonight. 
If you're here today and you're not faithful and you need to make things right with a loving God, look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?